Welcome to the Human Resources for Small Business Podcast, presented by Zenium HR. I'm your host, Brandon Laws. Whether you're an HR professional or a small business leader, each episode of this podcast is designed to bring you the latest in technical HR and leadership at your convenience. More content is available on our website at www.zeniumhr.com. Let's dive into today's topic. Hey, Wendy. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Brendan. Great to be here. Good to have you back. Thanks. So last time you and I talked, banned the box. Yes. And kind of return to work after being incarcerated, right? Exactly. And why employers should not blanketly discriminate against yes. people that may have a criminal background, but may have done the work they need to get back to where they want to be. Yeah. For listeners who maybe join us for the first time, go back and listen to that one. That was a good that was a good podcast and that was your introduction to Wendy. But for those that maybe knew, Wendy, uh, we're gonna talk about changing careers. Yes. You've done this. You you actually had this happen. So I did. I wanted to uh, first kind of get your background. Where were you at before? Why did you decide or when did you make that change? So I'm going to start from the beginning. Yeah. Since I was a young teenager, I knew I wanted to be a mental health counselor. That's all I wanted to be. Once I figured out what that was, I'm like, oh, so that's what I'm going to be later in life. All of my education all of my student loans, everything was all... <laughs> Everything's tied to that. Everything career. was tied to that. I you know, went to college and then you have to have a grad degree. I went to graduate school. I practiced for 10 years and I was very active. I worked my way up in management. I was overseeing large programs, mostly dealing with crisis work you know, in the county. And then I worked for a federal grant. And then in the middle of working for this federal grant, I was like, I don't know that I want to do this anymore. I just became a bit burnt out. And I had done some really yeah. intensive things for a really long and time. And I'm sure it wasn't all of a sudden, too. It was like maybe sleepless nights or just what was going through your head to say, you know what, maybe now's the time for a change. Great question. I did really intense work, but every day I woke up and I couldn't wait to do it. Even mm. when it was really challenging and really difficult, this is what I lived for. I loved it. It Was, was that passion. initially or even uh, even the last day you did it, you even felt that? I felt that up until near the end. That's what happened. Really? Is, you know, even going to school for it, it was my pure motivation. I mean, I had almost a 4.0 in grad school. So you obviously were passionate about the subject. So And passionate. even loved doing it, but why the shift? It started when I started waking up in the morning and not wanting to go to work. And, you know, we all have those days where you wake up, you're like, oh, I just don't want to go in today. And, you know, those are occasional. I don't have fun. those days. No, never, <laughs> never. And then I started realizing that it was almost every day. And then I started realizing that I was doing things to not go to work. Like I was taking random PTO days, but more often. I mean, we all have the occasional mental health day. That is totally necessary. A me day. I right. like to call it me day. Just, uh, yeah, mental health, go do what I want and just mm -hmm. not think about anything besides what I want. And just recharge. Yeah. But I wasn't recharging. And the work wasn't different. The work was the same. You changed. I changed. And I was becoming tired and I was becoming more stressed. And I was starting to have thoughts that I shouldn't have as a counselor. Being a mental health counselor and working with people that are in the poverty generational cycle, 
realizing that they want to make changes. That's why I'm working with them, but they don't necessarily know how I have those resources. And that's where I come in. And all of a sudden I'm having thoughts like, what's wrong with these people? And that was my big wake up call of, I know better than to think like that. I know the intricacies of how complex this gets. And it's not a these people kind of population. I had done so much training with other counselors on what burnout looks like. And I started recognizing myself. And I started to see the writing on the wall and I said, I need to go do something else. And I also knew that it wouldn't be overnight. You can't just like quit your job and then just go walk into something else unless you want to go be maybe a receptionist somewhere. But even then they'll have their misgivings about why are you really here? So I went back to school, Wow. kept my job. Portland State University has great programs. (laughs) And this was in their, it's not for credits, but it's to complete programs and maybe get some certificates and completing some courses of study. I started off with what I loved. That's what I did. I had a boyfriend who worked as a project manager and he was telling me about his work and he was long gone by this time, but his information about his work stayed with me. And he was telling me about it. And I'm like, I've done a lot of this just in a much more unofficial capacity. And there was no official capacity for project management at the time of mental health. But I said, well, let me start with what I love and let me see what falls into place. I took these certificate courses in project management and I learned a lot, mostly by talking with my coworkers and the professors. Project management was not something I could quite walk into. It's something that you need to be promoted into. And everybody else there except for me was there because their company was paying for it. Sure. Yeah. And you were starting over and paying for yourself at this point. Yes. Completely out of my pocket. It was my savings that was going to these classes and they were not cheap. And I loved them, but I still didn't have a way to break in. And there was no entry-level project manager anywhere. Even as a project assistant, I'd been a high-level manager for years. Yeah. So I'm not going to want to hire somebody to do admin work necessarily. And so I was talking with one of my professors and he said, you know, I think you'd be really great in HR. And something clicked. I think I would be great in HR. Like it just resonated yeah. with me. So I went home and looked at all my contacts and said, who do I know in HR? And I started holding informational interviews. And people were so happy to do that. People love talking people about People love that. Yeah, I, I talked about it on the podcast before. It's like informational interviews. It's untapped. People love to talk about themselves. Schedule some time, show up with some Starbucks, yeah, and just ask for 15 minutes of their time. It's never just 15 minutes. No, it's always an hour, hour and a half. And they're talking and you, you're taking notes. And you're not taking notes like you're in class. Like you're, I mean, you're having a conversation, but write down some key things. And I had great informational interview with my former director of HR. At the company that you got burned out from? Actually, the company before, because I kept a relationship with her. Don't burn bridges, people. Don't burn bridges. Not at all. And I'd actually helped her in an investigation on something. Um, We had a a sexual harassment thing come up in the larger department. And I was one of the managers that helped her wrangle people together and ask questions and find out the story. And I remember that too. And I really enjoyed being a part of that. One, because I was helping my employees. Somebody was harassing them, and I wanted to get to the bottom of that, and we did. And I remember that I enjoyed that. I remember that she was very helpful and very supportive, and I remember that my employees felt supported. Coming from a mental health counselor career, obviously, I like to help people. That's a pretty good assumption right there. And to look at HR, and this is another way for me to help people and also make a living. So that's the other thing, working in nonprofit. There was just not much of a living to be made. I looked around at the therapists that had been there for, you know, 20 years or more. And they all had spouses that were bringing in the primary financial support, all of them. And 
I was making so little. And I knew that going into nonprofit. I knew exactly what I was walking into. I had no misconceptions about that. But I got 10 years later to a point in my life where I getting burned out in the work and I couldn't financially afford to take care of myself to avoid the burnout. And I wonder if the burnout is one of the underlying factors is the compensation. It's like I'm killing myself, but yet the value I'm bringing and how hard I'm working, the the money's not equaling the output. And so it just perpetuates the burnout. Did you feel that a little bit? That definitely was a factor. That wasn't the factor. A lot of people think it was the factor. Yeah. A lot of people in my life say, well, you know. Oh, you're chasing money or. Yeah. yeah. They went into their careers because they want to make a good living. They were chasing the money that was their dream to be able to provide a certain financial lifestyle for themselves and their families. And that made sense. That wasn't initially where my motivation was. And I didn't have any unrealistic ideas that I would suddenly appear and I would be great financially and I would suddenly find it. But I was getting to a point where I think what was important to me was changing. And I was looking, starting to look at my future, how little was in my 401k. But also, I think that there are times in everybody's job where you get kind of burnt out. Projects go on forever. You're working late nights. And seeing that paycheck sometimes can help keep that motivation going. Backing up to the burnout that you experienced, you know, I think a lot of people would say, hey, maybe I need a sabbatical, take a couple vacations, just get away, right, and recharge. And it sounds like you did a little bit of that and tried to recharge, but you weren't recharging. But switching careers is a drastic move. That's a hell of a response to suffering burnout. What was the thought process of, hey, I'm experiencing burnout. The pay was a little bit of an issue as well, but just not excited to get up anymore and then just saying changing careers is the move a lot of people would probably just go the other way and just say "Uh, a couple vacations and i'll get back to it and then the burnout will come back eventually there were some other factors Oh, okay very perceptive of you so the licensing laws were changing a bit Mm. and i was at the forefront of that for a bit i am a former president of the oregon counseling association without getting too much into detail but there were a lot of issues around licensing and insurance reimbursement that were going on in the legislature. I had done crisis work, and it became clear that in order for me to continue and maybe even build my career, I would need to get licensed. But because of the kind of work I did in mental health doing the crisis work and not necessarily the traditional office therapy, I would actually have to go back and do office therapy, which is not what I wanted to do. I'm pretty ADHD. I like to be out and about sitting (laughs) in an office all day talking to people. It's hard, yeah. You're just not going to keep my attention. And so instead of setting myself up for failure, I was looking at options. I could have done that. If I had loved what I'd done, it would have been a couple years. I would have gone back, done some office therapy, found out what would count towards those hours and gotten my license and made that happen. Or I could have gone into administration. And neither of those things appealed to me. They just didn't. I wanted to keep doing what I was generally doing, which was be out and about and necessarily mm-hmm. just in an office all day. One of the things I like about the job now is I get to be out yeah, and about with no, clients. So it, it took a lot from get to point A, which is your old career, to point B, which is now where you're sitting today and as a human resource manager. Let's talk about your fears. Everybody goes through fears when they change. It's tough. Change is tough. There's a lot of fears, a lot of anxiety. People are talking at you and, you know, trying to force their opinions on you, I'm sure. What was that whole process like? You switch careers 10 years in, start all over, you have to go back to school. I start from the beginning. And that was the other thing, too, is in these informational interviews, I was like, well, I think I can walk in as an HR generalist. I've been a manager. I understand what's going on in the workplace. And I had no idea what I didn't know. I was all ego at that point and didn't realize it. 
And so starting off with those informational interviews, I kept saying, well, you're going to have to start over. And I'm like, well, that's cute. But <laughs> that's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, I'll be okay. I'll find one in and it'll be good. What was really interesting is other people were way more fearful than I was. My family freaked out. Why? What would they say? Because they come from the generation of you find your work home, you stay there for 25, 30 years. And, and get your, your your gold watch. Your and... gold watch. And that's where you belonged. And that's what you do. And, and here I was talking about changing careers, changing everything, completely uprooting myself and going into bold. the huge unknown. Very bold. I don't even have connections really in this field. I have a few and I already met with them. I had to do a lot more of mitigating other people's fears. I also want to go on record and say something really important. I didn't have kids. I knew at that time that if I had had children that I had to keep benefits for and a steady paycheck for and be able to afford certain things, this may not have been possible or definitely not as fairly smooth as, as responsible is what I'd say. Because yeah. the way I look at it, because I have two kids, and mm -hmm. if I, you know, I make a certain level of money now, and I save at a certain rate. And what if I decided to take a career change and my income gets cut in half or something? I would think, wow, that's for one, sort of irresponsible in a way. But what if I was super unhappy? And what if I just needed that change kind of like you did? I think in order to make it a smooth transition, you'd have to either save a lot of money in advance or just be really smart about it and cut corners where you can. And I was able to cut corners. I sat down into some math and say, okay, what's my bottom or what can I go to? I literally held the job for a year and a half at $14 an hour. Oh, so you really started over. I really started over. I really wow. went in. I was an executive assistant in a large HR department for an international company. And it was great because I got to put great my fingers experience. in every yes. facet of HR. There's a huge benefit to that, it, it, touching various aspects of the business. I learned so much. And because I was supporting executives that were an extremely high level in HR, I had access to all of their managers and all of their people. And being the executive assistant for these executives, I'm their main contact. So I do for them, they do for me, which means if I want to sit down and interview them a little bit about what they do, say, in benefits or in labor relations or any of those things, can you spend 20 minutes talking with me? It's actually in their best interest to talk yeah, with me yeah. about that. They need to keep me on their good side so that I have no problem reconciling their expenses at the end of the month. And then, you know, in getting there too... I applied to some jobs, some HR generalist jobs where I thought I could walk into. I didn't get those. I thought a great cover letter would get me in the door. I was very naive. I really thought that I will find that one in, and I didn't. So again, swallow your pride. You go back, and I held this job for $14 an hour, but the experience I got out of it and the connections I got were incredible. I learned a ton about the field. I understood what it would take to get certification, and I started making all these connections, and I started to understand where in HR I wanted to go, where I belonged and where I didn't. And now for a quick break to talk about Zenium's third annual What People Want From Work survey. Are your employees happy at work? Here's one way to find out. There's nothing better than open, honest, and anonymous feedback, which is why Zenium created the What People Want From Work survey, which is open to employers of all sizes for free. This 20-question employee survey reveals what people really want from their workplace, and it provides insights around leadership, workplace culture, management support, rewards and recognition, and work environment. Employers can sign up for free June 20th, 2017 until July 31st, 2017 at zenimhr.com. And the link is in the show notes so you can get right to the page. And now back to the program.
So I want to make an observation because I think this is an important distinction is you're talking about your family and I don't want to disrespect anybody who thinks this way, but I think for those people that think they should work for the same company for 25 years and I, and trust me, I would work for the same company for 25 years if mm-hmm. I absolutely could, but I realize things change, right? People change. For those people, the way they think is that their skills are finite, right? They're, they can't improve. They don't necessarily have the growth mindset. You took a different approach. I think the way in which you're articulating this is that you knew you could go develop those skills. You knew you could go get that new experience. You just had to start all over, but you could do it. It would be a little painful. And I don't think the other side necessarily thinks like that. They don't think you could do that. That makes sense. Yeah, I knew it would be a good five years or so yeah. of getting back up to where I currently was. I think it also helped that I came from nonprofit, so I wasn't exactly making a ton of money to begin Yeah, with. the difference between what you were making and what you had to start over. It wasn't drastic, or you're not talking about $150,000 to like forty grand or something. Right. No, I was talking, I'm not going to say how much, but it was down to $14 an hour, and it was still a dramatic cut, don't yeah. get me wrong, but it wasn't $150,000. Yeah. But I did own a home. I was taking care of myself. I was worried about my future. You hit your 30s and you're starting to think, what am I going to do next? And I was well into yeah. my 30s when all this happened. Mm-hmm. I was mid to late 30s. Well, I thought you were in your 20s. That's adorable. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I knew that my experience that I'd had was an asset. Yeah. I've learned that HR skills and mental health skills are not that different from one another. Yeah, they're pretty related. But experience is everything. Yeah. A big lesson I learned was I should have been more open to listening to people when they told me I had to start over. Because I'd met also with a couple of recruiters. And again, I did these informational interviews and I still thought I knew best. And then after not getting some jobs, I finally realized, okay, this is where I need to be. I need to start over. It wasn't like an overnight, well, I'll just take $14 an hour and it'll be fine and this and that. And now it was, no, yeah. no, no, I can do this. No, I just need an in. Then the in never came. And then I was starting to get to the end of my rope and I need to find something. I just realized, Wendy, five people have told you the same thing. Why are you being so resistant? It is gradual. And I think that you can't beat yourself up for it being gradual. Just that it takes a, it's a process and it takes a little bit of time. And... Yeah, it does. And you, you have to allow that process to happen and that's okay. And I hadn't made any huge commitments in the meantime. So I want to ask you about the economics of this whole decision because I know it's always a factor. When you make a, a career change, not only are you leaving a type of career that maybe has certain future prospects, maybe you have a ceiling as to where you can get in terms of money, position, all those things. But then as you're kind of looking at a new industry, you probably, through informational interviews, you probably realize, okay, well, I could start an HR rep level, HR account rep, HR business partner. I could be on the executive team at some point. And you see this possible progression as long as you get the experience and the skills. Whereas on the other side, supply demand plays a huge factor in a lot of these things in terms of what you can make and your future prospects. What was your thought process around those things? I was really open. I knew that I had to start off as an HR assistant, which is what I did. And I landed in a good spot and it worked out. Then that spot came to an end. They eliminated the job. And what they offered me was not necessarily in HR. And it wasn't where I wanted to go and still for very little pay. And I wasn't interested in doing that. So I went back to some recruiter friends that I had made just through temping and doing different things. Make connections with everybody. Build bridges with everybody. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, that came back to me in spades. It was amazing. I made friends with a particular recruiter. I talked to her and she said, you know, I know you don't have experience, but I know that you just need to be trained. I have a really great job as a recruiter and I think they're going to love you and they're willing to train you because they're hiring a brand new team. So because I kept that relationship, I got the phone call about the perfect opportunity. And for her, she got to place 
a very competent person in there who just needed to be trained. And yeah. that was great because, again, working for a large international company, and they wanted to train you the way they wanted it done anyway. Anybody coming with prior experience, they would just have to retrain on a lot of those things. So coming in fresh and then having the experience of having been a manager and hiring people, I was able to relate to my internal clients who were all hiring managers. And so it worked out really well and I got world-class training and I did that for a couple of years. And then I realized I did not want to be a recruiter. Uh, yeah. I love the HR facet of it all and I love the experience, but it was pretty close to sales. You know, yeah. it was pretty close oh, of to Of course, that. you're doing both sides of it. You're selling, but you're also interviewing and placing people. And... and then again, it's coming back to your connections and I'd made connections with some HR consulting companies in the area and again with recruiters. And I started discussing with them. I was in no rush. I left myself time. Um, but I said to them, you know, I don't think this is where I want to quite mm -hmm. land. But this experience has been amazing. For everything you do, you've got to take the positive out of it. What did I learn? What skills did I get? What connections did I make? And I made some incredible connections. And I even helped them. I made some referrals and I helped them make some great hires. And so there was a lot of give and give on either side. Then I was looking at more HR generalist roles and then starting again more entry level with that, but I wasn't quite an assistant anymore. You had the experience. Yeah. I was building my skill set. Yeah. And putting more things in my bag. At that point, I have a better idea of what I want to do. I know I want to be working with people. I want to deal with more employee relations issues. I like variety. So I know I want to be a generalist. Yeah. So how do I get to there? And then it's talking to people who know and say, how do I get to there? And it's networking. Which is something I do naturally. I know it doesn't come naturally to a lot of people, but going to HR events and learning about different things and just always having business cards and talking with people. LinkedIn, LinkedIn, LinkedIn. <laughs> You've got to connect with people. Don't rely on a solely, but no. use it as a supplement to networking. And just keep reading it. Keep reading what people are posting. You can find out a lot about what is on people's minds by reading LinkedIn posts, I think. You can. And you can also find out a lot about people in quality, about what they post, mm -hmm. what they repost, what they say, how appropriate they are. Sometimes yeah. you can meet somebody at an event and they seem amazing. And then they start posting all these really inappropriate for LinkedIn, maybe more Facebook. Facebook type stuff on LinkedIn and people are not giving them the respect. You're like, oh, okay. Like, oh, I see where we're going with this. Yeah. Now I should maybe give that person a little more space and go over here. I, I want to protect my reputation and not being super judgy about it. You know, those people that stand out, the people that always post really great, thoughtful things versus the people that are like bashing the president, mm. no matter which president it is, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> even mm -hmm. if I agree with them, I wouldn't necessarily post it on LinkedIn. But yeah, I think a lot of it came down to just networking and talking to people. And I had talked with some people that had switched careers too. I remember in one of my HR classes, I took a course and I went up to the professor and I say, tell me your story. How did you get here? So that's what I kept asking people. Tell me how you got to where you are. That's an interesting question to ask. Everybody's got a story. It's never a straight line either. It's like, oh, I had some low moments here. I had to struggle over here. And, oh, yeah. And then now I'm, now I'm where I'm at. I learned that. And I thought executives and people that had worked their way up were just so untouchable that they were somehow born into that. And oh, I don't even know God, that no. I thought they that. Go, they go through a lot to get to where they're at. Some don't. Some, they're born with all the skills and a great supportive environment. And they go into the Ivy League and then they get recruited from the Ivy League. And some people just have it yeah. like that. They work for it. Don't get me wrong. Doesn't necessarily mean they're also going to succeed either. No, but they have um, they have a little bit of an easier time. Sure. And then you find the people that have just, no, I I worked my way up. I yeah. clawed and yeah. I did that. And then you find the occasional people that also switch careers. 
And it always comes down to I had connections, I kept in touch, and somebody gave me a chance. So there were two stories. One was I was in one of my HR classes, and it was the professor, and he was in training. And it's funny because I didn't think of him much as a trainer. Like, thought he did not a great job in the class, but <laughs> and he won't remember me, so I can say that. But I remember asking him, tell me, how, what's your story? How did you get to be a trainer? It was I was doing this other career, and the career was kind of going away. I don't remember what it was, something in the technical field maybe. And somebody who knew him approached him and said, I think you'd be really great trainer let me teach you some things and here he was training at PSU now other thing that I always remember that brought me down to earth about how to get there was when I was in graduate school and so I was in graduate school for a degree in counseling psychology super energetic super passionate this is all I wanted to do my last year of grad school I was working 40 hours a week doing an internship for 22 hours a week and then taking 15 credits and I was fine I was exhausted. Yeah. It was fine. But I, I was so motivated. And we had the executive director of our counseling agency. And she was this really nice, approachable woman. We didn't get to see her a whole lot, but I really liked her. And I was talking with some people and they said, you know, you should take her out for lunch and ask her questions. And I'm like, no, she would never go out to lunch with me. I'm just piddly little intern. Like, why would she give me time? She's so busy. And I approached her and I said, I was wondering if I could take you to lunch sometime. I'm really interested in your story and hmm. how you got to be where you are. I think it's the way you framed it up. It's probably made her open to it. Oh, my gosh. She brightened up. Yeah. She, it's all Flattered. She, she loved it. She's like, I would love yeah, that. Yeah, I'd love to talk about myself. And this is somebody who had to cancel a good 50% of her appointments at any given time. Wow. Kept her lunch with me. Interesting. She rescheduled it for the next week. She looked at her calendar right then and there. She scheduled it and then went out for lunch. And I was completely prepared to pay and everything. And she didn't let me pay. And she made like 17 times more money than I was. That was really <laughs> yeah. great. That There's was gonna, that. That was going to hurt, but it was going to be worth it. And I just said, how did you get to be where you are? And she didn't have the straight line. She actually had that real squiggly line. You know, you see a lot of memes about that. Oh, yeah, These I days, that. like success is yeah. not straight up. She started talking about her story and I owned a business and that didn't work out. So I sold that. Then I did this and I did that. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm on that path. I wasn't even a professional yet. I was just an intern. And I was having my first mental health clients and doing things for the first time. But I remember exhaling. Like, okay, I don't <laughs> need to be on this straight yeah, line. Yeah, things up. are going to be okay. My anxiety went down a bit. So I always remembered that because when it came time for me to change careers, I was like, no, this is okay. This is life. And life is not a straight line. And I have to kind of take my own anxiety down a bit about this and just be open to that. I have to be happy. And being happy means making a living. It means having a life. And your career, your job, your everything is part of your identity. And I have to be okay with that. I knew I wasn't going to go work for Philip Morris. Hmm. But I didn't necessarily want to save the world anymore either. I wanted to help it. I wanted to help it a lot. You know, I, that burnout kind of toned a lot of things down. So where was something else that I could find passion? Still work with people, help people, make a living but not be everything about helping people. Because I was just becoming depleted, is really what it was. You had no more to give. My own internal energy, and there's lots of words for it. I just felt that it was just being depleted. I didn't have anything more to give. And there's nothing worse than a burned out counselor. I mean, we've all seen them. And they're just, they're terrible to work with. They're terrible to have as your counselor. It's just difficult. And you have to be passionate about what you do. We all go through peaks and valleys. Some days are better than others. But my time to change became... The realization of I never want to get up for work anymore. I just wanted to avoid it. And I was just so tired of it. And I was starting to take it out of my coworkers. And none of this was fair. Once I made a decision to make a change, I became so much more energized. Knowing that the situation I was in wasn't forever. And that 
it didn't feel as hopeless. And I didn't even know that I felt hopeless until I started feeling hope again. That was crazy. Change is good. I mean, it, it re-energizes us. The hope is a, is a great key word, I think, in this whole thing, is that if there is a light at the end of the tunnel and there is, there is hope, that's exciting. My dad actually worked in sales for most of my life. And he was great at it. He made a good living at it. And he reached a point a long, long time ago where he hated it. On his weekend, I'd be like, you know, as a kid, like, hey, dad. And he just didn't even have the energy to give me because all of his energy was towards providing for his family. And it's a lot of energy. But I saw what it did to him to not love his job. And he didn't feel open to change. He was, wait, we talked about it when I was an adult. He was like, I couldn't have done this. I couldn't have done that. He didn't even apply for something else. So all of his kids were grown out of the house a good 10 years. I saw what it does when you don't love what you do. It just killed him. He's actually retired now a couple of years, and he's a completely different person. Really? Oh, my gosh. He went back to college. He never had a chance to get his degree because of the way his, his life turned out when he was young. And he had to work and support his family. So he never got to go back and get his degree. That was a huge regret of his, even though it just wasn't possible at the time. And he's in school right now, close to his associates, maybe going for his bachelor's. No, taking well, his time. He's retired. Yeah, he's yeah. living the retired life. But also, he's volunteering. And he's working for SNAP, which used to be called food stamps, but, you know, it's, it's food assistance for people. And he is energized. So this is the person who was the most anxious about all these changes I was making. What are you going to do? What's going to happen? And here he is. He's making changes himself and he's loving it. He's incredibly different. Incredibly different. I just remember being younger and just thinking to myself, I don't want to hate going to work. He hated going to work and he had an awful boss for a very long time. But he just didn't feel like he had the options. And, you know, that generation didn't necessarily feel like they had the options. You go to where you can, you keep your benefits and you have family to support. And if you make a change, what if it doesn't work out? What's going to happen with your kids? And so I want to stress again, I didn't have kids, but I don't necessarily think that I would have just stayed. I think I would have made different decisions. I made some pretty radical decisions. I cut my pay more than half. Yeah. I did a lot of things. Um, so I think I still would have made changes, but they would have been different. So you, you have yeah. to factor in everything that's going on in your life. Well, maybe you would have just kept the job and, and went to school for mm -hmm. the other career at the same time. I think a lot of people do that, especially when they have families. Or maybe I would have done something that was more of an offshoot of what I was currently doing. Maybe I would have looked more into administration. Yeah. Because if I had had a desk job and didn't get to be out and about like I liked, but yeah, I was getting well. the pay and I'm able to support, you know, my family and do that, like they would have had different rewards for me. When did you realize you made that right decision on the change? Are you still trying to figure that out? Oh, no, I know I made the right decision. <laughs> no. I, I figured you'd say that because I just see the brightness in your in your face. You seem happy. You've all, ever since I've known you, you've been very bubbly and very talkative, very friendly. Really and, talkative? I know. No, you have no idea. <laughs> yeah, we've been going for 36 minutes already. So, um, and you're like, I have like three questions. Yeah, right? I've, I'm in three questions and <laughs> you've taken the whole podcast now. I'm just kidding. This is my next job, by the way, doing the podcast. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You just take it from me. <laughs> so when was that like aha moment? That like, hey, I made the right decision and this is my career path. Oh gosh, it was that first job. Really? Yeah. So even though you went to 14 bucks an hour, cut your pay in half, you were like, yep, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. Once I started talking to other people and I started finding out all the different avenues that you could do in HR and the different things. And I started not only talking with the managers, but all of their, their staff. And what do you like about your job? Tell me more about this. Mm. And I was helping people with projects. I became energized again. And so I knew the $14 an hour wasn't forever. Yeah, it's not, yeah, exactly. I think that's the, the problem that people face is they, oh man, I'm going to start here and then this is going to be forever, but it's not really true. No. If you have the growth mindset, 
you keep growing your skills, you get experience. That's not going to be forever. There are things worth going shopping at Winco and Grocers Outlet and doing those you gotta things. You got to do what you got to do. You have to do what you have to do. And if it's a lot of top ramen, if you can eat that, great. You know, I've been whatever. there, done that. Still driving, <laughs> still driving the same car I have for the last 12 years. I mean, it's just you cut corners mm-hmm. where you can, you save because you know that the, the growth path is not that straight line. It's an investment. What do I need to do now to get to where I want to be? So no, I actually knew that. And then when I went into recruiting, I still could have been a recruiter. I didn't like hate it. It wasn't what I exactly what I wanted to do, but I knew yeah. I was I still knew I was really on the right path because there were a lot of facets about it that I still love. And I love the people and I love talking with people. There were a lot of things about recruiting that I really liked. Mm-hmm. I like making the right matches for our hiring managers. If things went wrong, trying to figure out what went wrong so we don't make those same mistakes. Training hiring managers on how to properly onboard somebody give people a good experience Um, when they say i need to do this because i need to fire this person saying okay well hold slow down let's talk this situation through do you really need to fire that person and it's funny because people think like the worst part of hr is firing people never feels good yeah it should always be terrible but usually when we're letting somebody go apart from like a layoff reduction in force which is just tough and then you're there to help cushion the blow as much as possible it was going to happen anyway but a lot of times people have been miserable in their jobs for a long time. Yes. It's why they're acting out, yeah. why they're not doing their work. And it's like, go find what makes you happy. And I can tell you that you can find what makes you happy and it can work out, even if you've been fired. I mean, we've all been fired from jobs at some point, some of us in spectacular fashion. <laughs> but, um, that's another podcast. So I think that I think that I went back and I just realized that even though I didn't like exactly what I was doing, There were still huge facets about it that I love that I can work into another career in HR. I knew I had options. And people change areas of specialization in HR all the time. So looking at all those things, it was wonderful. I actually went back and thanked that professor who said, you know, you belong in HR. And those bells went off in my head. I emailed him and said, I just want to let you know that that little conversation over lunch was so meaningful. And now I have this great career in HR. And I think I would have found it anyway, but you definitely got me there a little quicker. I think for anybody that's thinking about changing careers or or has, they'd probably say that, you know, pick a profession that one, you're going to be passionate about, Mm. has really good future prospects for money. So you can have a standard of living that's good and it's going to meet your needs. But something that has great future prospects, something that you're not going to just like be stuck. And I think that was where you were at with your first career is that you probably realized you were stuck. With HR, you got into recruiting and then another door opened, went to something else. Now the door open. It's like there's just a wide net of areas you can hone in on mm-hmm. and you're still going to be continuing to hone in on your skills and then you'll probably continue to progress. So I think it's that's the beauty of HR, I think, is that there's a lot of different areas you can get into. And it's all experience-based. My first generalist job came because I had recruiter experience because they didn't want to do recruiting. So they could hire me to do recruiting part-time as part of my responsibilities and they would teach me how to be a generalist and give me that experience was a great trade-off all the way around so it still led to a good fit even for a job that lasted for a little while what i think we should talk about which is a weird thing about changing careers was when i changed careers all of my coworkers that were generally the same level as me were all 10 to 15 years younger than me and that took some getting used to so you coming into a new career and then everybody's 10 15 years younger so well i'm coming in entry level and so is everybody else right out of school yeah and so here i am i've had this not only out of college i had grad school so that's another few years and then i had a 10-year career yeah so now i'm coming with other people that are coming out of college and they're walking in bright and fresh and i'm coming in sort of bright and fresh a little bit more experience and it was a little eye-opening I kind of like that, though, because 
you're fresh, you're re-energized. They have no idea what they're walking into because uh, they're probably just had a, it's probably their first like professional job, right? So my guess is that you guys, it's different, but you'd feed off each other's energy and positivity and grow together. Even though there's a huge age difference and your, your generational differences may be apparent to both of you. Depends on the crowd you're with. Along the way, I've definitely found a few people like that. They're happy to collate paper. So am I. Like you can't have an ego. That's the biggest thing. Like when you're you never, over, you can't never be above any job. You cannot. You know, there's there's real truth in the advice of if your job is making copies, make the best darn copies. Absolutely. And do make, with a freaking smile on your face. Not only that, I knew how to work that copier inside and out. I became the go-to person for any toner issues, jams, <laughs> you yeah. name it. As if I become the go-to person, I become the go-to person with other things too. That's my philosophy as well. That literally happened. It literally became, I became the copy machine master. I worked to your strains. I was really techie. IT for this large company in my little office, or my large department actually, actually relied on me to troubleshoot problems before it went to them because they got to know me and they knew that I could tell them what was above my head versus, oh, a cord was loose or something along those lines. Again, making connections. Whatever I could shine in doing, I mean, I spent a day and a half reorganizing the supply cabinet. Supply cabinet is a problem in every single office and every single place ever. No supply cabinet remains neat on its own and people leave things everywhere. I spent a day and a half coding everything, labeling everything, and it became, wow, did you see what Wendy <laughs> did? Oh my goodness. She did the supply cabinet. It was like the best thing anybody could do all week. I didn't have to go to school for that. <laughs> no, it's more about energy and just getting it done. And... and don't get me wrong. My desk is a mess. Like my desk will always be messy, <laughs> but I knew how to organize that supply cabinet. Yeah, I think that... You could absolutely have coworkers that are just as energized. It's just great to have you on the team. I don't think I was always that fortunate. And so I think it's always about finding your best way to shine. And again, not having an ego about anything, which I think I was born with an ego. So that's really difficult. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> got an ego at some extent. And that took me down about 17 notches. And it was good. And I realized how good it was. So I think you can have that where you come in. And sometimes you're placed in a situation that's also not of your coworkers making, where maybe there's a lot of nepotism in the workplace. It's about who you know or who you were born from or something. And so they will get promoted above you two times before you're even considered. Or they'll look at you down their nose and saying, really, you're here? Like, what, what have you done wrong in your life? And you just have to know who you are and what you're working for and stay true to yourself. And then I absolutely had coworkers that were much younger than me that we got along great and we had a really great time and they kept me young and fresh. <laughs> It was a lot of fun. And then I also got to talk to them a little bit about wisdom and about like what they were getting into in the workplace and just how to maybe watch themselves politically. So for the people that were open to it, it was a nice give and take. As we kind of wrap this discussion up, what, what would you tell people that are thinking about going through a career change, are currently going through it and are experiencing a lot of anxiety um, and just fear over what's to come? Or maybe somebody, you know, like an HR manager who's helping people through this process. What do you what do you want to say to them in kind of in closing? Separate your emotion from what's real world and what's actually possible. Understand that you are going to have to make some sacrifices depending on what they are. Some may be long-term or permanent, most of them are temporary. What can you do? If you have a spouse, communicate. Allow for the initial reactions versus the ongoing conversation. You know, you might talk to your spouse like, I I don't think I can do what I'm doing anymore. I think I want to make a change. And they might freak out because like, oh my gosh, what if? What if is a very scary word. And what if is the cause of a lot of anxiety because there's no answer. There is just no answer to what if questions. You can go round and round and round and round. It's like a treadmill that never ends. So take what if out of it and saying, well, what can we do? What, What are my interests? 
and start doing your research. Don't jump. You know, start waiting in. Yeah, so be thoughtful about that whole process. Talk to people. Find out where your support is. And again, I understand decisions may be different if you have anybody that's depending on you, that maybe you need to make some sacrifices in that time and they're not necessarily forever. Take a look at that and what's possible and then go for what you love. There's a lot of wisdom to doing what you love. Don't take it to the extreme of like, if I like sitting in my pajamas and playing video games all day, that's what I'm going to do. You can't make a living at that. Be uh, realistic. There, there are jobs out there for video game testers. Yeah, but they go to work <laughs> and they test video games. And, and, they it's, and they're probably miserable doing, they're just testing bugs in video games. So. Or maybe that's what their passion is. Maybe it, they maybe. love dissecting them. Maybe, it. maybe yeah. they have that analytical mind. If you find a way, kudos to you. Make your decisions, but don't feel so stuck. Nothing's hopeless. Everything is hopeful, and you just have to figure out what you're willing to sacrifice for what you want. Good stuff, Wendy. Guest today has been Wendy Gilbert. She's on the team at Zenium, and thank you for joining the podcast. It's been a lot of fun. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast. Subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our blog at www.zeniumhr.com forward slash blog and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn to hear about the latest in HR and leadership. The information on today's episode is for educational purposes only. It should not be taken as legal or customized advice for you or your organization. This podcast is hosted and fully produced by Brandon Laws, that's me, and created and owned by Zenium Resources, Inc. For more information or to contact us, visit www.zeniumhr.com.